Well, we are in for a treat today, Red Letter Disciple. It is episode three of season three, and we're bringing on to the show Dr. Brian Ficker. He is an amazing guy, authored When Helping Hurts, and really has informed and influenced so many when it comes to helping people the right way. So we're going to talk about how do we help people in poverty? Uh, what What is most effective? How has the American dream failed us in our nation? And we're going to talk tall people problems. Brian Fickert is six feet ten. And so I think he actually makes Chris Johnson, my co-host, feel better about himself because Chris, you know, he's not so tall. And so if you're short and you're like, oh, I wish I was tall, maybe you'll rethink that a little bit. So we're going to have a great conversation. So welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. We're a podcast with a mission to challenge you. That's right, you, wherever you are, to be a greater disciple, believing that when we all are the greatest disciples that we can be, that we're going to change the world. Because when people see the real Jesus through you, through me, it really does change the world. So I want to thank our sponsor for this episode. It's Red Letter Living. I get the privilege of leading this company that creates resources that challenge people to be greater disciples. And one of the things I'm really excited about this year is my group, Red Letter Pastors. It's a Facebook group. It's a private group that that I'm spending a lot of time hanging out in with uh, about a thousand other pastors and church leaders. And one of the things we do is every month we're having monthly webinars that are designed specifically for you, pastors, specifically for you, church leader. And so next week, the webinar we're featuring is with Rich Birch. Rich was a former guest on the Red Letter Disciple podcast, and we're going to spend an, an hour. All this is free, by the way. We're going to spend an hour talking with Rich about how to increase the invitability culture at your church. So pastor, you want to grow? You want you want your church to be a place where people want to invite their other friends and, and, and others in your neighborhood? This is going to be an incredible webinar. So here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to join our Facebook group. And so you can find out how at redletterpodcast.com. We're going to put it in the show notes for today's episode. There'll be links for how to join the Red Letter Pastors group. And in that group, you'll not only see the link and the invite to this free webinar with with, uh, Pastor Rich Birch, but then also you'll get all the monthly webinars coming up, which I can't wait to help you at grow your church and lead disciples in your church. And so thanks to Red Letter Living and the great people that I get to work with so we can do shows even like this today. All right, without further ado, let's get into, I think, (laughs) a really fun, super helpful conversation with Dr. Brian Ficker. Let's do this. Oh man, I am pumped today. We have uh, a guest coming on, uh, Dr. Brian Fickert, uh, joining us today. Brian is a professor of economics and community development. He's the founder and president of the Chalmers Center, which I, I want I want you all to hear about. It's pretty amazing what they're doing there. Uh, I, I know him and I first ran into him as co-author of one of the most influential books uh, that I've certainly read in the last several years called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and yourself, <laughs> as well as many other books. One of his latest is Becoming Whole. Uh, and this is also almost like a sequel to it. So we're going to talk about those things in, in the books. Uh, Dr. Fickert earned a PhD. We got another smart guy joining yeah. us from Wait Yale. Wait a second. Why do Yale. We, we get all these guys with advanced degrees and you barely got a GED. <laughs> right. Crazy. Uh, we are bringing smart people onto the show. Yeah. I, I, I hope that that means that we're getting smarter. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Osmosis. But, uh, Brian, Ficker, welcome so much. We are so happy that you are here on the show. Uh, welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. It's great to be with you. But I'm terrified watching you two guys. <laughs> Good. Good. Awesome. Good. I'm, I'm glad. So hey. uh, let's just start right from the beginning. Uh, you're six foot ten. I am. 
Wow, that is amazing. And we're going to play a game later based off of those statistics alone. <laughs> not on your PhD that you've earned, not on the great wisdom, but right. solely based on your height. Go ahead. Because Zach. we want to hear what are tall people problems that you know maybe we don't right. quite understand. So yeah. we're going to get to that. As I was sharing the guests for season three with some of my friends, mm-hmm. I had a couple that saw the guest list and they were so excited. Circled the date. This was the episode for them. This is it. Uh, because your work, When Helping Hurts, like truly uh, helped helps change the paradigm in a lot of the serving and helping that we do. And, and so I had probably a dozen people recommend a book to me over a few years. And finally I gave in and I was like, I'm really glad I did. So Hmm. I'm really pumped that you're here to talk through that and the becoming whole book. Um, So thanks for writing it. So why don't you tell us, start by giving us a snapshot of the, what helping hurts book is all about and why you think it's been such a staple in the last decade and so many people's lives. That's awesome. So, brothers, it's just great to be with you. And I understand a a bunch of our audience are from the Missouri Center Lutheran Church. I'm so excited about that. I really am. Uh, um, I'm from a small denomination, a small Presbyterian denomination. It's very similar in many ways to the Missouri Center. So so this this is a a blast for me. Um, uh, When helping hurts, I got to talk about that. All right. So so basically, (laughs) the the idea is that good intentions are not enough. Mm. It's possible to hurt the poor in the process of trying to help them. And so, so it really comes down to this. What is poverty? Mm. Because the way that we diagnose the problem determines the solutions that we use. And most Americans, if you ask them what's poverty, they're going to say this. It's a lack of food, lack of clothing, mm. lack of housing, a lack of money. We tend to define poverty as a lack of some material thing. And hence, our solutions tend towards providing material things to poor people. But if you ask poor people around the world, What's poverty? They're going to say something like this. I feel shame. I feel less than human. Hmm. I feel like I I can't affect change in my life. I feel like garbage that everybody wants to get rid of. The poor tend to define their poverty in far more psychological and social terms. We tend to define it in material terms. And that disconnect is at the root of the problem. No, it's great. And I think I really resonate with that. And, and as an American that kind of defines it in a material way to hear that actually, man, no, there's a lot more psychological, there's a lot more internal, a lot more feelings that, that go as a part of this. So knowing that as a framework, can, can you then share uh, an experience, uh, a time to, to, to bring that to life to, uh, when helping hurt kind of dive in further to what that an example might look like to help our oh. So, so uh, there's so many examples, but let me just give you a really simple one. When we pull up to a traffic light and there's a homeless person standing there in the street corner, our first inclination is to reach into our pocket and hand them some money. Well, I mean, quite frankly, you may need to do that to keep them alive. But you know that in the very process of doing that, you're enabling them to be back on that street corner again the following day. That The very thing you're doing to help them is actually enabling them to stay in the very condition that's so horrible for them. It's just one example. Um, it's so interesting. Many of us, uh, many Christians in America, uh, not all, but many are very critical of the federal government's welfare programs. We, we think that giving people things creates dependencies and so on. But I'd submit to you that the church actually is, in many situations, one big welfare system. <laughs> where we're essentially giving all kinds of handouts, hoping that somehow change is going to happen. And then it doesn't. Mm. And then we get frustrated and we get disgusted. We start to say things like, I knew they were uh, 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 lazy. I knew they were not thrifty. I knew they weren't uh, as good a steward as I am. And so we shame the poor 
and we make ourselves more prideful. And so we do harm to both parties. So we've got to get out of this material framework. I always wondered, Brian, like just happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was driving in the car. We pulled up to the stoplight. I mean, exactly how you described it. And the, the sign, the person with the sign, with the kid. and. Yep. I gave the money, you know, yep. and, and then as I was pulling away, I had this debate in my head, <laughs> like, did I do that because I wanted to look like a good person in front of my kids? Or did I do that because I actually wanted that person to go get something to eat, you know? Yep. And, and, and then, you know, furthermore, like if I really cared, wouldn't I be more involved in solving a homeless issues, things like that, you know, as opposed to, Hey, look at me, kids. I just gave a homeless person five bucks. Look at your old man. Isn't he great? That's what I felt like. Like, a- well, if I were wearing that jacket a lot, I would probably be looking for some ways to look better to my kids as well. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This thing costs money. I think you probably have some image issues. And kids are probably going to need counseling as they when, I, when I go to my psychologist with this on. We have some serious discussion. <laughs> I would imagine so. this is what inside poverty looks like in a wardrobe. <laughs> Uh, for those who are wondering, I'm crying inside. Go ahead. I think so. It's, so, yeah. so often, it's really about us, and I, yeah. I'm not saying that you were about yourself, but no, I but struggle I, with this. Yeah, I might you know, been. I mean, in my situation, uh, I have felt called to work amongst the poor my entire life, mm. and went and studied economics, and in God's grace, got a PhD studying poverty. There's a sense in which I need poor people to like get better from my work so I can feel good about myself. <laughs> I, I need them the to hurry up and get healed so that I can look like I've been a successful person. And it's, it's awful. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an awful thing that we're caught up in. And, and so it's not really loving people. It's using people mm-hmm. in many situations. And so we've got to get out of this. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about the good news of the gospel and the lives of all of us, including the materially poor. We've got to bring that good news in an effective way to help those homeless people. Enabling them to be there the next day is not helping them. And I think another really great, because I I think what happens is when we try to help and it is the wrong type of help, it it creates a a bigger divide, a bigger, a larger bridge. And so the, the, personal example with the homeless is, is something that we've all run into and we all wrestle. I still wrestle with sure. that. Yep. Uh, one of the other like corporate or church-wide examples that I, I really appreciated uh, from the One Helping Hurts book was the church that uh, wanted to give away presents uh, at Christmas time yeah. to the inner city or the neighborhood that yep. was connected next to them. Yep. Can you walk me through that example sure. from a, a larger uh, corporate? Sure. A lot of things we feel individual. I think we also are doing corporately and it's like no it's all wrong <laughs> so let me yeah and to kind of follow up on that i'm always asking zach for 50 to 100 dollars, and he never gives it to me so. <laughs> i know zach's kind of a tight watch so, so yeah, exactly. we're gonna work on zach thank right. you thank you and maybe if zach gave you some money you could buy some different clothes <laughs> i've wore this same coat for three seasons <laughs> oh god just to let you know it's starting to smell all right i'm gonna get him a new one next thank you thank you all right. so so in the book we tell a story about a church that wanted to minister to the poor people in the neighborhood around the church. And so they said, let's love these people by bringing them turkeys at Thanksgiving Mm. and and toys at Christmas. So it's turkeys and toys. It's a material approach to addressing a problem. Well, after several years of doing this, uh, nothing changed. And Mm. the poor people are still poor, of course. And and, um, uh, the people people from the church, this might've been my church, by the way, the people from the church started to get a little frustrated 
Uh, and not, nothing's changing. We've been loving on these people. We, we bring them turkeys and toys year in and year out. Nothing's changing. And we started to say things like this. You know, these people, they're, uh, we notice there's beer cans down on the front porch. We notice that there's um, the kids are always dirty. Uh, we notice that um, uh, they just seem to not be very good stewards of their things. And, and so our pride is starting to go up. We're starting to say, you know, they're not as good as we are. And, and then we got into, you know, uh, when we go to visit these people, uh, there's no uh, there's no men in these households. These are welfare mothers having children out of wedlock, bilking the federal government. And so our pride is going up and up and up. And we're getting disgusted with these other human beings, these other image bearers. Mm. We did some more research. We found out there actually were men in those households, um, African-American men who, because of both individual struggles and systemic injustice, had a hard time finding and keeping work. And so, and they were very ashamed of it. They were embarrassed. They couldn't keep jobs. And so when all these black men saw all these white folks coming at them with turkeys and toys, turkeys and toys, they could not provide for their own kids. They ran out the backs of the houses, hid in, uh, in bushes uh, and, and behind in garbage cans to avoid the shame of seeing us bring stuff to their kids that they could not provide for the kids themselves. But one of the primary features of material poverty is often a sense of shame a sense of inadequacy, a sense that I can't do it. Well, if you have that as part of your, uh, your, your psyche, so to speak, it's hard to find a job. It's hard to look a potential employer in the eye and say, hey, I can do this job. You know, it, it takes risk uh, to get a job. It takes some confidence to get a job. So, so we actually do a lot of harm uh, in that ministry. We confirmed in those men the very things they're already struggling with, the very things that are making hard for them to get work. We said to them, yeah, you really do stink and you really are not effective. And so we actually made their situation worse off. And we made ourselves worse off because instead of coming together and walking together, we said to ourselves, we're better. And that's not the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not how great we are. The good news of the gospel is that we stink. By the way, my pri- my primary spiritual gift is offensiveness. Some people got love, joy, peace. I got offensiveness. The good news of the gospel is that on our own we stink, but Jesus doesn't stink. He shows up in our lives as a free gift, and he starts to to to, to change us. But that's all a free gift. We didn't do it. But we forget that. So that's so you look at it this way, though. You know, you see your church was legitimately from a good spot trying to help you know what i mean there you're like oh my goodness we have more you have less we're called to to serve the widow um yeah so if you if that's not the answer goods are not the answer if turkeys and toys are not the answer then how do we do it right it starts with diagnosing the problem correctly Again, we tend to think of poverty as a lack of material things. The Mm. poor tend to experience it in far more psychological and social terms. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. At at the core of the issue here, this is going to be a little tough for our friend Zach, who doesn't have a GED yet. But at the core, at the core... Where Am I picking up the vibe of what Where this did thing this is info like? Come That's from. right. It's yeah, you're right. no, you're good. He lost. <laughs> this is kind of what this is like, right? So, so, so <laughs> at the core of the problem is we've got the wrong anthropology. Mm. So, real quickly, most of Western civilization says the human being is a physical creature. We're material in nature. Uh, my field of economics is all about this: that the human being is this material creature and so human flourishing the good life is to consume more stuff well how do you get more stuff 
either give it to people or you help them earn it. Mm-hmm. That's the American dream. What the church has done is we've sort of said, okay, that's not completely true. Let's recognize the human being as a soul. And so we kind of tack this soul onto this body. But in most of the Western church, we don't really think of the body and the soul as being very integrated. We think of it here. I got a Starbucks. So, 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 so we, we think of, so think of the cup as being the body and think of the soul as being the coffee inside. In many of, in many of our minds, that's how the body and the soul relate to each other. You can pour it out. I, I could take this cup and I could pour out the coffee. The body contains the soul, but they're not connected. Mm. Make any sense? And so mm-hmm. they touch, but they're not integrated. Yeah. And so what we tend to think as Christians is, oh, the real goal is to get the soul to heaven for all eternity. So where we float around in clouds uh, like ghosts, uh, you won't have that crazy jacket on. There'll be a ghost. And so we kind of, the, the body doesn't really matter. What really matters is we do things to get a chance to share the gospel to get the soul to heaven for all eternity. So we do stupid things. So, so, so <laughs> no, I'm sure you guys don't. Never. Let, me, give you, let me give you a quick example. Uh, most churches have um, some really bad ministries. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they've been going, those ministries have been going on for 30 years. Now, I'm going to make it up. Yeah, sure. It, it's, a, it's a hula hoop ministry. I'm making this up. <laughs> so what you do is you give out a hula hoops to poor people every Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Well, after 30 years of this, the poor have got hula hoops all the way from their toes, all the way up to the top of their heads. They can't even move. And so if you say to the people running that ministry, why are you giving people hula hoops? Why are you doing this? They, they, nothing's changing. They're still coming back every Wednesday for hula hoops. This is what we're going to hear. We, we, they pay me a lot of money to come up with this stuff. <laughs> I was going to say, like, my big idea yeah. that I presented yeah. to the church this year was a hula, hula hoop ministry. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> So my soul right so, now is like hurting our, as you're saying this, but go ahead. No, wait. And just so you know, Cam, our producer, found Jesus because of a hula hoop ministry. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Go ahead. So, so if you ask the people in charge of that ministry, why do you continue to give a hula hoop out to people? This is what you're going to hear. We just want to show them the love of Jesus so that we can teach them the gospel so they can get their soul to heaven for all eternity. So we do things that don't make any sense in terms of full orb human flourishing to get their soul to heaven. Mm. Are we together? So Western civilization says the human being is a a physical creature. The church has said the human being is a physical creature that contains a soul. Mm. The Bible gives us a different view of the human being. Mm. The Bible says the human being is a highly integrated body, soul. And then their last part is the most important for our audience. We are highly integrated body, soul, relational creatures. Mm -hmm. You're a body, soul, relational thingy. You are deeply wired for relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, and with creation. That anthropology changes everything. Because when that woman comes into your church asking for help with her electric bill, Uh how we relate to her, the things we try to do with her, uh, what we see as being wrong, and, and what flourishing looks like isn't just physical assistance and it's not just physical assistance with the gospel with evangelism tacked on it's to help her to live the fullness of life which is to live in right relationship with god with ourselves with others and with the rest of creation that anthropology changes everything about how we should walk with poor people it's highly relational 
that so takes a that so takes good. a lot more time than writing a check. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the thing. It yeah. takes forever. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so but I want to be very careful here. Many people think the message that we are communicating is don't write checks anymore. Right. Everybody's got to go out and hug poor people and have deep relationships with them. What the reality of it is, the last thing the poor people need is Chris hugging them. <laughs> so, so, I mean, look at them. Some of us shouldn't get near poor people, to be honest. Yeah. There's different gifts. Yes. What I need you to hear is that effective ministry to the poor is highly relational. It takes long periods of time. And so what we need are people with money to write big honking checks to pay for staff to hang out with poor people. Hmm. And right now what we have are people write checks to ladle out soup or to uh, dig wells. And you need soup and you need wells. What we have a hard time doing in Western civilization is helping everybody, including donors, to understand poverty is fundamentally relational. It takes relational approaches to address the problem. It's slow. It's time consuming. It's nonlinear. It's hard to measure. We need people willing to fund people to hang out with poor people. It's way more expensive. Yeah. What I'm talking about is way more expensive. It costs way more than hurling resources at people. Yeah, it's not less money; it's more, but it's spent differently. I see. So I want to I want to go a little deeper into that. Then, so so what what I what I'm hearing is, and what really connects with me, like specifically in that example earlier, is like the the shame that the father might feel in that moment. Totally. As a dad, I can I can relate. Yeah, I wouldn't want somebody coming in and doing that. And I think so much of my life, uh, I would say, and I'm, I'm still learning and evolving. And as I learn is I don't want to be the, the, the person, the white man savior that has the material possessions that just comes in and says, Hey, this is the way to do life. I, I need, it's, it's harder than that. It's more time consuming. One of the frameworks that really helped me from your book is, uh, the, the diagnosis between relief Yep. rehabilitation and development. Yep. Um, this is a really helpful framework because I think most of us, and, and you make this case in the book, we jump to the relief, which mm. is the writing the check, when yep. sometimes the more time intensive and the more difficult pieces are the rehab and the development. So walk me through those three a, a, little, a little bit more. Yep. And how do we know which yep. one may be right. Yep. So, so think of it this way. Uh, think of the homeless person on the street corner and think of somebody who just uh, was a victim of the tsunami in Indonesia. Now, both are suffering from homelessness. The, yeah. the, the person in Indonesia doesn't have a house and the homeless person on the street corner uh, in Omaha, Nebraska doesn't have a house. So it looks the same. They're both homeless, but the underlying conditions are completely different. And so what we've got to do is try to understand what's going on underneath. What is the situation we're dealing with? And that's what the distinction between relief and rehab and development is trying to get at. Relief is a handout. It's yeah. the appropriate thing to do for an individual or community that's in a crisis and can't help themselves. And so this is not the point of the parable of the Good Samaritan, but the Good Samaritan is a good illustration. The dude's yeah. lying on the side of the road, bleeding to death. He's mm -hmm. going to die. He can't do anything. The Good Samaritan provides relief appropriately. He gives him handouts. He helps him get bandaged up. Yeah. Once the bleeding is stopped, the right intervention is rehabilitation, which is part of, which means to restore the individual or the community to the pre-crisis conditions. In the case of the Good Samaritan, it means um, helping the guy get out of bed uh, and start to 
to exercise and to walk and so on. Now, you notice that once yeah. you're in rehab, uh, you're actually asking the person to contribute something. It's not that you're going to carry them down the hallway of the hospital or the inn. You're going to say to them, come on, buddy. Um, you can do it. You can start to exercise those muscles. I'm going to walk with you. You're not going to fall. I'm with you. But you're asking people to participate in their own improvement. Now, why? It's not because we're a bunch of uptight Republicans, although <laughs> you might be. But it, it, it's, it's because real love means to restore people to humanness. And again, humanness includes having a proper relationship to creation, which means to steward our gifts and our resources, to manage them on behalf of our king. And so simply handing out things to people who have capacity doesn't restore them to flourishing. And so we're going to shift in relief. We're doing things to people or for people. In rehab, we're going to start to do things with people. Hey, you're going to bring something to the table. I'm going to bring something to the table. We're going to walk together. And then development is a process of walking with individuals or communities at long periods of time to help them and ourselves experience greater degrees of human flourishing. Now, here's the thing. Development does often involve providing resources to people, but it's done in the context of them using their own gifts and their own abilities. Let me give you an example. Uh, in uh, um, the Chalmers Center that I'm part of, uh, is, uh, works in uh, in Western Africa right now in Togo. Actually, Zach, I think you said your wife uh, grew up there or something. Yeah, she, she grew so, up there since so she was twelve. So pretty it's cool. Terrific. So yeah. what are we doing in Togo? Well, we're helping people with microfinance, helping people save and lend their own money to one another. Well, we're bringing something to the table. We're bringing training. We're bringing all kinds of curriculum. We're bringing something to the table, but then we're asking them to contribute. So it, it's it's a with kind of a thing. Here's the problem. The vast majority of poor people in the world, I'm a teacher, by the way. So when, when my students are daydreaming, I tell them that the most important thing is I'm about to say. So this is the most important <laughs> thing other than Jesus. The right. most important thing on this podcast other than Jesus is the next sentence. Okay. The number one problem for most churches and ministries in America is that we do relief with individuals and communities that really need development. <laughs> They're not destitute. They're not incapable. They're not bleeding along the side of the road. They're actually able to contribute something. And if you do, de if you do relief in contexts where development is the right intervention, you will do harm. Let me give you a quick example. I have a friend who's extremely wealthy. He lives in, American, in an American city. He's super wealthy. His son lives a block away in a homeless shelter. Mm. Wealthy dad, son living in a homeless shelter a block away. Why? Because the homeless shelter is doing relief with a person who needs development. They're giving him a free bed. They're giving him three meals a day. And the kid's like, dude, I'm going to go to the library and play video games all day. So he, he basically gets, he, he gets a place to stay. He gets uh, uh, free food. He plays video games. Then my friend says to his son, son, I will help you go to school. I'll help you get a degree. I'll help you. It, but I'm not going to just enable you. And the son's like, well, why bother? I, I can get free handouts. My friend is trying to do development. The homeless shelter is doing relief with a person who needs development. And they're undermining good development. It happens all the time. Wow. I want to go back to something That's that crazy. you uh, said um, uh, a few years ago. Uh, our church had developed a relationship in Panama, 
uh, with a gentleman who was a doctor going around to different villages, Panama, and then once in Guatemala as well. Um, and we were going to, he was traveling so much through all these different villages, he would literally drive for like four or five hours. Wow. <laughs> and so we took a team down. And uh, to uh, this was even, I think, before you down to Loma Caba and and we were going to build um, a hospital and then uh, a place for him to stay. And he was studying to become a pastor as well. So we built this relationship and then we go down. And when we get down there, we discover that the town is completely just squatters like, uh, you know, it and and a bunch of white people from Orlando, Florida go down and we see families of eight living in 300 square foot houses with no roof. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the thing that struck me is when we pulled into this uh, community, all the kids came running outside mm-hmm. and they were so happy. They had a deflated oh. soccer ball and we're playing deflated soccer <laughs> and kicking the ball around, like having the time of our lives. And then we changed our game plan to, Hey, let's put roofs on these houses Mm -hmm. and starting to build relationships with these people. But the thing that really hit me is that these kids seem so happy Mm -hmm. and my kids (laughs) <laughs> well, look at you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's fair. But, I, you know, the kids, like, I, we're not wealthy. I mean, Zach is, but I'm not. Yeah, okay. um, and, and so uh, I'm joking. But the point, the point is, like, my kid's got an iPhone. My kid's got, you know, all the things of this world. And you see these kids who literally are wearing the same shirt each and every day. And the interesting thing that you said that hit me is every time that bus showed up with our church people you could not find a dad anywhere in the village and i always thought that is so interesting to me and when we did church there was not one father in that church and i didn't even i was like why is that are they just absent but what you said really struck me Mm. like no if I didn't have a roof on my house and my mom and my uh, mother-in-law and my three kids were staying in there, I would feel a great deal of shame. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so there's so much to unpack in that story. It's amazing. Um, You know, it's kind of interesting um, in, in, the kind of the sequel to Unhelping Hurts is this book called Becoming Whole. Did did you show? Did you hold that up for people to see that? Yeah, ah. Becoming Whole. A little closer. To, yeah, yeah. Come on, Zach. This, this, <laughs> it's the subtitle is called "Why the Opposite of Poverty Isn't the American Dream." Hmm. And and what we try to get at in there is that uh, we are all shaped by stories. That, that all of us are living into a particular story and, and we call it a, a story of change or a theory of change, a sense of what the good life is and how to get there. A story of change is what's the good life and how to get there. And we're shaped by these stories. We, we live into them. We practice them. We create systems, institutions around this. And what we're trying to get at in becoming whole is that the story that most of us are living into in America isn't working. Hmm. We've got the, our story. If, if we're unbelievers in America is human flourishing is more stuff. How are we going to get there? We're going to earn it. We're going to work hard. We're going to get more stuff. The church's story is kind of like we call it evangelical Gnosticism in our book. It's basically uh, get the soul to heaven 
And we don't really have a story for this life, so we default to the only story we know, the American dream. So it's kind of like, do evangelism, get your soul to heaven, and then live your best life now. And we pursue a material well-being in this life. We pursue the same story that many Americans are. The problem is that if you look at America, what you see is that income and wealth, of course, have continued to go up and up and up and up and up. In terms of achieving stuff, we're outrageously successful. But if you look at the self-reported happiness of Americans, it's actually going down. If you look at anxiety and depression, anxiety and depression in America have been going up steadily from the 1930s to the present. That should give us some pause. During a time period of unprecedented economic growth and prosperity, anxiety and depression continue to rise. And so it's sort of like our personhoods are screaming out and saying, I'm not made for this. I'm made for a certain kind of habitat. And the habitat I'm living in isn't the right one. Now, here's the killer. What globalization is doing is bringing all of this to the rest of the world. So kind of our message to poor people is, come be like us. Come be like middle class and upper middle class Americans. Of course, we're all miserable. Our (laughs) happiness is going down. Anxiety and depression are on the rise. Come be like us. Join us in our misery. That's a stupid thing to do. Maybe what we should do is say, hey, there's a better story for all of us. There's a better story for the materially poor. There's a better story for you and for me. We've got to find that story. And it's in the Gospels. It's in the Bible. Brothers, I'm sitting in my office right now uh, at Covenant College. Talk about Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Hmm. And um, I've got great students. And I love them. And they minister to me. The amount of anxiety and depression amongst our students Mm -hmm. that they come to us with is off the charts. Mm -hmm. I personally have serious issues with anxiety. We're not living in the right habitat. We're not pursuing the right story. It's not working. Mm. There's so much there. By the way, I I love your your writing. I, I like speaking um, this is even more fun because I just you're this is stupid. It's stupid. I love it. <laughs> you don't put that in the books quite that strong, um, but I think it's really good. And I think what you have done is put on paper and now are speaking things that are I think objective things that I've subjectively been feeling uh, a lot of time, but haven't had the maybe the word or the explanation yeah. for it. And that's exactly what I'm thinking about. And that's why I love the becoming whole. It's like the sequel Thank to you. when helping hurts, yeah. but it's this thing that I've been feeling. It's like. Why would we want to impress upon anyone else what we're feeling right now? Um, the American dream is is uh, turning into a nightmare, it turns out. And, and so I've been um, on this kick actually in the last year to kind of help reclaim the word happiness. Uh, I think the Christian church has failed and abandoned and obliterated like this word. Um, there is a superficial kind of happiness. So let me just make sure that everybody hears that. But there's also a superficial kind of love a superficial kind of peace, a superficial kind of joy, but we don't crush those virtues, but with happiness we do. And, and so I gave a sermon on it last year. It's probably my favorite sermon. And I think it was actually the deepest theological sermon was on the word happy. Um, and so I'll put it in the show notes, but, but that was what I was feeling. It, it was like, we're not happy. Um, and, and by the way, we're seeking the wrong type of happiness. Uh, and you even referenced a study in here, I think from British, um, from Britain, maybe uh, about the science of happiness, because I think this is related to helping others to what it takes to truly be happy. 
uh, which is a yeah. good thing that God put in us. So yeah. can, you, can you speak into that a little bit? Yeah. yeah. So it's really interesting. Um, uh, there's an explosion of research right now on happiness. What makes people happiness happy? And there's all kinds of ways of defining happiness. And there's a whole debate about uh, what that really looks like. And, and I won't bore you with all that right now. But what's very interesting is that all of the research and I, behind me is I, I don't have it in front of me right now, but there's a book called the um, the Oxford Handbook on Happiness. <laughs> it's <laughs> this thick, and it's Sounds like fun. all yeah, the- yeah, what a blast! <laughs> 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 so it's like all the research that's come out in the past thirty years on what makes people happy. And you know what the conclusion? The, the bottom line is this. Uh, if you if you had a secular if you had an unbeliever right now who is a social psychologist on this program, and we said to that social psychologist, "What makes people happy?" The literature is screaming out clear on this. What makes people happy are strong relationships with God, with themselves, with others, and with creation. Mm. Now, the language that secular people will use is often a bit different from that. They won't. They might not say God. They might say a higher power. They might say some ultimate meaning. Uh, They won't say creation. They might say work. But the point is that all of the the whole research agenda that's coming out of this literature saying human beings are actually hardwired for relationship. And what makes us happy are healthy and strong relationships. It's exactly what the Bible is teaching. Yeah. So good. And, 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 and uh, my, my newest project that I'm working on in 2023 is, is the book Serving Challenge. And so huh. a lot has been written in that. And, and so uh, in that, of course, trying to help recover what I think is a, a better dream, and that's the heavenly one and helping people see that, uh, that Jesus of all, of all people was a servant and the that's it. like him. And the research too, like when you look, even psychology teaches like what Jesus has taught us. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I'm here for. That's what fills me up. And, and Maslow, the hierarchy of needs, the new uh, at, the, at the top now is transcendence needs. And so it's when we who have achieved our potential, if God's given us any blessing, when we help others achieve theirs, like that's what brings fulfillment. That's what brings happiness. And so uh, I love that. So my question, I want to pivot uh, just a not, not pivot, but ask it in a different way, because I've been doing all this research on Jesus and how he served us. And, and when I look at Jesus his helping of us hurt him. <laughs> and so should helping right. ever hurt? Yeah, 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 yeah. So there are different kinds of hurt, right? Yeah, so so, so there's the kind of hurt in the sense of um, uh, the way we mean it when helping hurts. What we mean is uh, uh, we are doing things that make us not who we truly are, that they make us self-centered, that make us prideful. And so there we're using the term hurt in the sense of uh, moving us away from all that it means to be an image bearer. Uh, That's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is pouring himself out self-sacrificially. There is pain involved uh, in his life. And yeah, we are called to uh, to him. Now, there's a lot of trickiness in this. So, so, so on the one hand, my, my co-author, Kelly Capic, who's a Trinitarian theologian, and I have batted this around. There's a, there's a lot of paradoxes here. So on, on the one hand, uh, you know, Jesus does suffer uh, for the joy set before him, which, by the way, is community. It's us. Yeah. 
yes, we are often called to suffer in this life uh, uh, in the pursuit of the better of other, the betterment of others. But Jesus isn't hanging on the cross for all eternity. So, so, so the, the image of the new creation, the image of the new heavens and new earth, isn't um, Jesus being nailed to the cross and suffering for all eternity. The image is a great banquet feast where we get to have, you know, bratwurst. You're from Sheboygan. <laughs> where we get to have bratwurst. It won't, give, it won't, it won't make our cholesterol level go up. It's, so, so there is a sense in which uh, sacrificial love that could even cause us pain is part of how we live in the now of being united to Christ. But for all eternity, part of being united to Christ is a great banquet feast. And so that, there's a now and not yet to the whole thing. And that, by the way, uh, is a happy thing, I think. <laughs> the banquet feast. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And, and, and brought, uh, did you ever go to Brat Days in Sheboygan, Brian? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my wife, Allison, is from Sheboygan. Brian grew up, in, and her family's still there, and Brian grew up in Sheboygan. And so I remember Brat Days. If heaven is anything like Brat Days, like we totally. got Totally. It's not that's a bunch of heart, being a, heart playing, right? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that's so good. And so, yes, there, there's a time that when it's for the betterment of others, it, it may be okay. And it is okay. It's great, actually, to sacrifice, to hurt. Uh, when we're really hurting, it probably does have a, a cost um, to us. All right, so because my parent-in-laws were... Uh, on the mission field and 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 so because for some of us like we run into the homeless person that's uh-huh. that's we we've all had that happen uh, there are some that have actually been on the mission field and they're there and so i, I want to ask this question but i'm gonna preface it a little bit uh, are there any times that despite all you know and you know a lot and you've been helping others that you would abandon those principles and so i'm thinking of mm-hmm. In West Togo, Africa, again, when they when when they were growing up there, like, what do you do when you've got someone like there were people that were literally coming to my father in law with life or death situations. Yeah. And at times I even hear stories of like he he turned into a dentist <laughs> and pulled teeth, uh, even though he wasn't a dentist. Now, I would think long term, right, the, not, the, the solution is not to be the white man, America savior. Um, but when or is there a time yeah, where you would say, course. even if it's the wrong type of help, it's the help that I need to do now? You're, you're basically asking, Brian, do you really believe what you wrote? In- <laughs> well, what I'm asking is. it on behalf of my in-laws, so yeah. be careful. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of family dynamics yeah. in this question. No kidding. This is a lose-lose. I need to go to counseling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, there is absolutely no question that sometimes you need to just do things for people. But I, I don't. I wouldn't say that's doing it wrong. I'd say that's doing it right. There's there's moments where relief is the right intervention, and there's moments where I'm the best person to provide that relief, even in Togo. So 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 it it there's so much that's situational. Um, I think in, in the start of when helping hurts, I talk about a situation where somebody need, needed relief, and I gave it. And I say, I say in there, I don't think that was the right thing to do because there was a local church there that could have provided that relief. And so instead of it being the six foot 10 uh, white guy do it, being the hero, it could have been that local church could have been the hero. And so even that situation, I think it's helpful to ask, am I the best person to be providing this relief? But sometimes uh, the white missionary needs to extract teeth. <laughs> it's very situational. 
Yeah, I have not had him pull any of my tea, so I don't know if he's effective <laughs> at it. Um, but he got better at it, I guess, and, and turned into brothers. I want I want to be so careful here. It's so this stuff is hard to get. I want to just emphasize again: the message of when helping hurts is not that we should do less. The message of when helping hurts is we should do way, Amen. way more than we're doing right now. We should give more uh, of our money, our time our talents, we should be poor. Isaiah 58 says, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, dudes, we got to get out there and get something done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All we're saying is maybe do it differently than the way you've done it before. What so, we're describing is much harder to do. So why, so why is in your mind, in your estimation then for the everyday disciple out there, why is helping the poor or alleviating poverty a must. Oh, the Bible te- tells us. You know, you know, Lutherans believe the Bible too, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Some. So throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's heart is always bent towards the needy, towards the oppressed, uh, 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 he's a God of compassion, has a particular bent towards those who are materially poor. And as God's people, we need to pursue the heart of God. And so, so you can't be a follower of Jesus Christ and not care about poor people. It's just not an option. It's not sort of like, oh, I follow Jesus and I'm, I may or may not be called to care for the poor. That's not true. If you love Jesus, you got to love the poor. First John chapter three, if any of us has material possessions, and sees our brother or sister in need. Dude, we are the richest people ever to walk the face of planet Earth. First John 3 scares the living daylights out of me. If any of us has material possessions and sees our brother or sister in need and has no compassion on that person, how could the love of God be in us? Mm. You can't. Yeah. We're the richest people ever coexisting with some of the poorest people on the planet. Uh, we got to do something. Our message is do more. Just do it differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, not, don't do less. Do more. Do it differently. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I just heard in there I think is uh, so vital uh, to this is that there's compassion. Uh, but one of the things that I think your books do so well that – I think it was a Kyle Eidelman book one at a time that I read that there was a section in it that I've taken and, and, and done some stuff on. But what's amazing is you, the, the word compassion is the emotion attributed to Jesus. I would say most often in the mm-hmm. Gospels. Um, but what's cool is it's compassion and compassion yeah. and compassion and so just feeling it actually isn't that helpful uh in fact <laughs> it can be harmful if all we do is feel it but the, jesus had an and to it and that's where i feel like your books are really helping people focus on the and and, and what is the and that's going to be the most effective and the most helpful to help the most people which i that's love it. tell it, me it, G- jesus yeah. is always trying to restore people to humanness yeah. So, so, so he, you know, Jesus could just like showed off because said, you know, hey, um, I'm going to make this tree get uprooted and fly around the moon, or I'm going to make Chris wear been, a really that, weird jacket for the rest of That would have been awesome <laughs> if he would have made it fly around the moon, though. That would have been. So but cool. he doesn't do that because he's he's wow. he's giving signs of what his kingdom looks like, and his kingdom is always about restoration. And so he doesn't just show. He doesn't just show off. He's like, you're lame. 
I'm going to help you walk. You have leprosy. I'm going to clean your skin. It's always about restoration to humanness. And part of humanness is to be, an, to, to be an image bearer, is to be one who can work and worship God and others, sorry, to worship God and serve others through work. Amen. And so our acts ought to be in that direction as well. So good. All right. So you've not only written books, but now you, you've fashioned uh, a lot of your life, your profession around uh, really experientially helping uh, pastors, church leaders, and others uh, really understand how to help in a really helpful way that doesn't hurt. Yeah. So the Chalmers Center, I want you to tell me a little bit about the Chalmers Center and then a new initiative uh, called Innovate um, yeah. that you're doing right now to help. Thanks so much for asking about that. The, the Chalmers Center is a church equipping organization. And when I say church equipping, I, I, I really mean the local church, but also uh, missionaries by extension and, and parachurch ministries and so on. We want to help the local church and its ministries to work amongst the poor in more effective ways. And so when Helping Hurts and Becoming Whole are just some of the resources we have to help people. One of the things that, that um, we're arguing in Becoming Whole is that we're supposed to live into a different story. It's the story, it's God's story. It's not the story of the American dream. The problem is that most, we've all been enculturated into the wrong story. So we've got to live into a different story. And so uh, there's a sense in which we have to imagine a world we haven't fully seen before. We've got to ask ourselves, what would the kingdom look like in my village in Togo or, or in my street corner in Nebraska? We've got to improvise, we've got to make it up. And so what we've done is we've, we've taken the themes from Becoming Whole and a companion book called The Field Guide to Becoming Whole, and we've integrated that with tools of innovation and creativity from design thinking. And so we're helping now in an online course called Innovate, we're helping people to either uh, uh, improve their existing ministries or launch new ones that are more consistent with God's story. Is that something that is uh, time? Is there a time to get in that or is that an ongoing yeah. thing? Yeah. So we off, right now we're offering it twice a year. Uh, the next offering is actually March 2nd, uh, March 2nd through May 4th. Uh, we meet uh, for two hours online Zoom, uh, 12 to 2 o'clock uh, Eastern time. And then there's some homework you have to do in addition to that. But yeah, it's, so right now, twice a year, the next offering is March 2nd. Amazing. Brian, you've been, you've been uh, this, uh, again, the, the books uh, along with some of the content here, I, I think has just been so uh, foundational, uh, so confronting in a good way. And in so much of what I've been feeling is like, it's in here. And so if, if you've not read the materials and especially like if you're serving in a church or a nonprofit, mm -hmm. uh, again, I had 12 people recommend this book to me before I finally did. So don't, don't wait for 11 more. <laughs> Just jump in and, and get into it. All right. We got two more things for you. We ask every guest the same question, and, and then we're going to do a little game show segment with you here. Uh, have some fun with Chris. The but, important part. Yeah, there you go. But the question before we get to the, the fun part, that's all fun, I think, is we, we ask our guests to challenge our listeners that if they can do one thing this week to be a greater disciple – uh, what would that be? So what would you challenge our listeners? To learn the answer to this question, why did Jesus come to earth? Mm. Because, well, actually, everybody's listening right now. Just what's your answer to that question? Just think, what's your answer? I got one. What's your answer? <laughs> uh, he came to serve and not be served. Excellent. Excellent. Does our non-GED friend have an answer? <laughs> no. 
No, he doesn't uh, have one. I usually write out the answers for him. He came to reveal. <laughs> so here's what I would say: seminary answer. He came to reveal the character and, and nature of who our God is. That's excellent. They're, those are both good answers. So who but, won? Who won? But, Who's the best? <laughs> well, the vast majority of the, the, the vast majority of Bible believing Christians. Uh, and by the way, I, I'm from a very conservative. My dad was a pastor in Wisconsin in something called the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We're like the Hasidic Jews of Presbyterianism. I mean, you have no idea. So, 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 so super conservative. I believe every word of the Bible is true. It's without error. It's authoritative. I'm all in. Um, if you, the vast majority of conservative Bible-believing uh, Christians in America, if you ask them, why did Jesus come to earth? This is what they're going to say. Jesus came to earth to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins so that my soul can go to heaven someday when I die. And that is true. Praise God. It's true. I don't doubt it for one second. It's true. But then the alarm clock goes off on Monday morning. Now what? Well, my soul's going to heaven. It's all secure. But work still stinks. I got to get out of bed Monday morning. What am I going to do? And so we, we don't have a story. We just live the story of the American dream. Jesus' answer to this question is a bigger answer. Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he says he's come to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why he was sent. That's the overarching theme, the kingdom of God. The fact that he's ushering in a new creation, yeah. a new heavens, a new earth. He invites us into that story. It's a fuller story. It doesn't preclude the legal story. Doesn't preclude that that the legal story is part of it. I need my sins forgiven. It's all there, but there's more, and that more gives us a reason to get out of bed on Monday morning. It gives us a purpose. It gives us an agenda. It gives us good news. Meditate on the good news of the kingdom of God. Nice. That's what it's about, and that's yes. that. You know, what, shockingly, maybe you don't know this from the media, but we're still in a nation filled with people that say they're Christians. Sixty-three percent of Americans still in 2022. Uh, believe that Jesus came so that one day their soul, and like you said, Brian, praise God. But the reason this podcast exists is to let you know there is an invitation, the opportunity of a lifetime right now to step into God's kingdom as a disciple, to follow him. And so I love the way you But wait, it. there's more. All right, Chris, there's more. <laughs> All right. Uh, what a show today, Zach. We have learned so many things from I'm nervous. the, from I'm the nervous. author of when helping hurts from the author of becoming whole. We have learned so much. It, you might be asking yourself, what have we learned? Thank you for asking. Number one, we've learned this. When believers pass away, we probably won't show off and fly around the moon. That's something that Brian said. We learned that. Probably won't. I think was that what I said was the most important thing. I said there's a couple of key takeaways that we've learned besides everything else. Don't think that you're gonna get wings and fly around the moon. Number two, Brian is six foot ten, a proverbial giant among boys like us, mentally and physically. I have designed a game specifically today for you. Something that a guy like me who's five foot eight or a guy like Zach who's five foot five probably can't understand. So here's the game. <laughs> Get down. Here's the game. I want you to say 
which one is worse. I'm going to present, they interviewed a hundred giants like you <laughs> and they went around the Americas and then they didn't find enough giants. So then they went to other countries. We interviewed a hundred people and we said, what are the worst problems being taught? Now I want to hear from you. Which one is worse? Okay. Number one, is it what is worse? Family photos might be lopsided. <laughs> the rest of the family, and then this is what you see with, you know, you get your head cut off because you're so big. <laughs> I just knocked that over. Oh, boy. All right. This had a spill here. No worries. Or is it worse to have a fitting room that doesn't fit you? Like you go into the fitting room, and your head is four feet over the side. You see things you don't want to see. What's worse, family think, photos being cut off or fitting rooms that don't fit? Think about bathroom stalls. <laughs> it's oh, I horrifying. I did not even think. So you kind of get it. Yeah. So that's got to be worse, right? So, so the, the fitting room, in terms of one you gave me, the fitting room is the worst. Okay. My family photos, uh, I just blend in. My All my kids are huge, buddy. <laughs> oh, they are? Yeah. How tall are your kids? So I've got a son who's 6'8". I got a daughter who's six one. Another daughter is about five eleven. My wife is only five foot five. She's the one who feels like an oddball. <laughs> wow. Five my foot brothers, five. my uncle, everybody's tall. We're all huge. So, so okay. we all, the family, the family photos are, are those are like where I feel at home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's an either or. Which one's worse? Is it trying to take a shower in a normal guy shower, or? Is it everyone hating you every time you go to the movies or a show? Because you're so <laughs> the hating one. The hating one is the worst. Yeah. Whenever I sit down, everybody behind me is going to have a miserable experience. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, have, in front. I don't go to a lot of movies, but the last time I went to a movie, there was like so many open rows. And the Jolly Green Giant, and sure, he's a nice man. He sits right in front of me. And he probably <laughs> heard my audible Oh, come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, a couple more. A couple more. Um, what's more miserable? Um, everyone expecting that you are just great at sports and asking you what sports you played or clearing all the spider webs that nobody else can reach when you walk down a path clearly having to i'm a walking conversation piece yeah so the, you know, everybody everybody comes up you know do you play basketball yes you know how many times a day i've answered that question in my life <laughs> and then they, they think they're really creative with how's the weather up there do you oh, know yeah. how many times a day i answer that yeah it's like yeah that, well that that was one of my last ones was that but here's the final one brian uh the thing i think what america wants to know um being six foot ten um what's more irritating is it short water fountains which i have to imagine or beds just finding a bed when you're beds are the worst yeah that's the if there's a foot on the end of the bed so yeah. i can sleep on a short bed as long as there's no foot on the end but there's yeah. a foot in the end of the bed it's miserable all night long yeah so that's the worst so like do you have to go california king at this point yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I've got a California king bed. Uh -huh. uh, when I go to hotel, the hotels usually don't have a foot in the end. Like bed and breakfast are the worst because they, they think it's like really cool to have this like, you know, five foot bed with this big <laughs> thing on the end. Right. I'm like, I'm miserable all night long. Yeah. Well, you you wow. said your wife is five foot five. She's five foot five. The, the idea was that she was going to dilute the gene pool. <laughs> it didn't work. On a, a final question, and you can cut this if you don't want to use this, but. 
you're six foot 10, you're on a California bed. Do you have to like hunt for your wife in the morning? And <laughs> are you just like, are you there? No. All right. You can, no, because she can gravitates wherever I am. Yeah. It's like her body, like a magnet. When it comes to- well, <laughs> sure. She's scared in all that property. <laughs> I mean, what do you oh, it's good. Man, we learned so much there. Yeah, and so I think we all actually now have more compassion for yeah. guys like you. Yeah. And we want to help. I do. It's obviously really hard to be you. But Brian. don't expect a check just because you're tall, pal. <laughs> I'm going to live beside yeah. you. You don't need relief. You no. need, you need you development. Need, you need development. <laughs> it's one thing we've learned. Point number three. <laughs> the hey, absolute Brian. worst, the absolute worst yeah. by far yeah. are airplanes. Uh, absolute worst. Yeah. And so, invariably, I walk on the airplane. There's somebody four foot two in first class. Their feet are dangling. They came and hit, they came and hit the floor. And I got to go walking past. All my sanctification is, is <laughs> at risk at that moment. All of it. Oh, man. And you know they're just bragging with yeah. their legs dangling. Totally. Like, yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think we learned it's just really hard to be tall in this right. world. Everybody that's, that's small that wants to be tall, like, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Right. It's not that great. After junior high basketball is over, yeah, there's no point to the whole thing. There you go. There's no point to the whole thing. All right, Brian. Hey, if people can connect, want to find you to connect with you and any of the stuff we talked about, what's the best place these days? Yeah, they just go to the Chalmers Center's website. It's just chalmers.org, C-H-A-L-M-E-R-S, chalmers.org. It's all there. Awesome. And we'll put that link in the show notes as well. Uh, seriously, thanks, Brian. Uh, your, your, your work is just influencing uh thousands upon thousands, if not millions of people. And uh, it's, it's really cool to, to spend this time with you and, and have some fun along the way. It's so. a blast. And I, I just uh, thank you for the time and just want to encourage the audience. These are difficult times, but it's hard to be a pastor right now. Amen. It just, it's the hardest thing. And so, so just thank you for what you're doing. Be faithful, cling to Jesus. We're going to get through this. Mm -hmm. Amen, brother. Awesome. All right. We'll see you, Brian. Take care, bud. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I just had the the most fun. Like, Dr. Fickert is such a a warm, friendly guy and uh, an amazing guest to have on. And, And his book really helped shape me. And if you'd never ran into it before, like this episode, I, I, I hope whet the appetite for you to go out and get his resources. You can find his resources, more about the Chalmers Center, that Innovate program that they've got starting here in, in a few weeks that I'd love for you to be a part of. You can find all of that at our, our show notes at redletterpodcast.com. So I want to thank again, Red Letter Living, the sponsor for today's episode. Uh, If you are a pastor or church leader, I would love to invite you to join the free Facebook group called Red Letter Pastors. So we're going to put the link in the show notes for how to do that. One of the reasons I want to get you there is because we're doing free monthly webinars and this coming like next week. So there's from the air date uh, to, to, na- to next week, like there's a webinar coming with Pastor Rich Birch. We're going to talk how to increase the invitability culture at your church. We want you to have a church that the people in your church love to invite their friends and others. And so thank you to Red Letter Living. And I love this group of of, uh, more than a thousand pastors and church leaders at Red Letter Pastors. We'd love for you to be a part of that. All right. Subscribe, rate, review. 
follow, whatever platform, so you don't miss next week's episode. Next week, we're bringing on Stuart Hall to the podcast. Stuart serves as Director of Student Leadership for Orange. Orange is maybe the perennial student ministry in our nation, and he has more than three decades of serving in student ministry. So we're going to find out, like, what's the secret to serve 30 years with students? Also, Stuart, the, the way I ran into him, he was a contributor for a book that I read in 2022 called What Most Parents Aren't Telling You. So we unpack some of the latest data and have a great conversation about what parents are thinking about, what parents care about today. Like, how do you juggle kids' sports and faith? And then we spend a, a good chunk of time, because Stuart's an expert, looking into the next generation, Gen Z. And we're going to let you in on things that, that, that you're not hearing in the popular opinion, in the media about Gen Z. Are there challenges? Yes, there's challenges with every generation. But man, there's lots of positive things in Gen Z and the opportunities in the future are incredible. So it's a really helpful conversation. And if you're a parent, if you're Gen Z, like come on back next week. Stuart's with us. Going to be awesome. So again, how do you how do you come on back? Subscribe, follow, and it'll automatically show up in your feed. And if this was helpful for you today, will you tell some, tell someone? Will you tell a friend? Uh, that's helping us and that help won't hurt. So there you go. We'll see you back for next week. A Huda Media Production.